right now on Matter of Fact. Residents of this low country town found lead in their water over a decade ago. People want to know, did something happen to my baby because of this water? Did the chemical used to clean the water in this Carolina community cause more harm than good? Plus, parents are desperate to find affordable childcare. You can't get a job if you don't have childcare. As the industry struggles to find workers. When Taco Bell is starting you off at $15 an hour, I can't do that. How will the nation fully recover if we can't provide care for America's children? But first, too many people living in small towns and on farms don't have a digital connection. An Arkansas town needs broadband to bring business back. If you don't invest in broadband, you are signing somewhat of a death certificate for the area. How do we get rural America online? I'm Soledad O'Brien. Welcome to Matter of Fact. If we've learned one thing in this pandemic, it's the importance of internet in our lives. Broadband access has given us the ability to work remotely, to schedule food deliveries, to see our doctors using video visits, to help our kids with their schoolwork. That has been the story in most urban areas. But for people who are living in areas of the country without a digital safety net, the challenges are immense. According to the FCC, an estimated 19 million people don't have broadband access. 75% of those living in digital deserts are in rural America. Our correspondent, Dina Demetrius, visited Phillips County, one of the poorest in Arkansas, where neighbors are working to deploy broadband and join the digital age. In the heart of the Mississippi Delta, the small agricultural town of Elaine, Arkansas, is a picture of historic divides, racial, economic, and now digital. This is the north side of town, where it's predominantly black, and this the south side that's predominantly Lisa Hicks-Gilbert is trying to bridge those divides with fiber optics. So nothing works without the internet. Right. And definitely nothing works uh, without internet that's reliable. Last year, Gilbert returned to her hometown from Little Rock and is now program manager of a local nonprofit addressing rural disparities. She says when the pandemic hit two years ago, the slow service from the town's only provider practically brought it to a standstill. You had some people who had lost their jobs they're trying to maybe um, sell jewelry, you know, get an online business. The children are trying to do homework. You realize how inadequate um, the service is. Laying fiber lines in rural areas is costly. The smaller customer base means a smaller return on investment. That leaves rural communities in the dust. Elaine has just been getting crumbs and uh, we can no longer allow that to continue to happen. Feeling the pain of her community's stagnation, Gilbert found a benefactor who pays for free internet on one block of Main Street. It's beamed from right across the river in Mississippi to these devices on buildings and Elaine's water tower. So how much has this free Wi-Fi helped people and changed mm -hmm. their lives? Well, even when we have some of our students that come with their, their uh, internet service goes out, they can come up here and finish, finish the work they need to have done. Our vendors will be able to access the internet and be able to make those cash app, PayPal, Venmo, whatever sales. For Candace Williams, an executive director at Rural Community Alliance, and her nine-year-old son, Caleb, lack of internet service during the pandemic forced them to drive a half hour each way daily to Helena for Caleb's virtual school. I would have to go 
to to uh, McDonald's to use their free Wi-Fi. I would just sit in the parking lot. Now Williams' family switched to a hotspot, but it eats up data quickly, costing her up to $200 a month to buy more gigs. Why can't we connect people to the outside world uh, with, with, with that service that they need and it's not a significant amount of their income? Heading up to Helena, its residents don't fare much better. At least 40% can't get online reliably. We have got a divide in everywhere in rural America. When you add access, quality internet access, you take that divide and you fill it up this much. Nancy McKee tries to lure new businesses and life to Phillips County. I've got rail. I've got four lane to the interstate. I've got the Mississippi River, the greatest corridor for transportation. But on historic Cherry Street in downtown Helena, McKee's passion for renewal is stifled. Would you say broadband and the lack of it is pretty much the nail in the coffin with every conversation yeah. you have? And they say, well, which of these buildings has, you know, pretty good fiber in? And I'm like, none, zero. They just kind of look at me like, what, where am I? Is this prehistoric? Few entrepreneurs are drawn to the area like Harvey Williams. He and his family returned from Chicago to help run his new distillery, Delta Dirt, the only thriving business on Cherry Street. If you don't invest in broadband, you are signing somewhat of a death certificate for the area because essentially you're saying the area is not worth it. It would cost $550 million to finish covering Arkansas with fiber, and many rural officials don't have time to pursue federal and state broadband grants. McKee says it's time for a federally funded work program to lay that fiber. There's a job for 10 years, and on top of that, because you, all of a sudden you're growing, right? What happens when you grow? Oh, we get a new neighborhood. Oh. Well, you get a whole new development area. Development that would mean higher paying jobs so people can grow in small towns. As we reimagine our lives and our futures here in Elaine, it's gonna have to start with broadband. And that's what we have to fight for. In Phillips County, Arkansas, I'm Dina Demetrius for Matter of Fact. Next on Matter of Fact, childcare costs are weighing down families, but daycare owners are also feeling the pinch. If we're not able to provide those services, they're going to go elsewhere. We're in Mississippi to see how one daycare owner is trying to curb costs for families while staying afloat. And later, what happens to that hotel soap once you check out? We'll show you how one man's idea is helping clean the world. and affording childcare has become a nightmare for families, the pandemic worsening an already crumbling system. In 2020, the national yearly average cost for childcare was just over $10,000 per family. That's a lot of money, but it still doesn't help daycare providers cover their costs for staff, for food, and for the facility. And childcare employees continue to be some of the lowest paid workers in America. Our correspondent, Laura Chavez, traveled to Clinton, Mississippi to talk to one family and a daycare provider struggling to make it all work. The earth. The earth, yes. My husband's active during the military, and so we moved to Mississippi about a year and a half. Illy Moreno, her husband Manuel, who's currently overseas, and their three-year-old son Sebastian moved from Dallas to Clinton, Mississippi for a new assignment with the Army. Who did you know in the area when you moved here? 
absolutely nobody. And that happens every time we move. Did Pete cry? Living off base in a community where they don't have a support system to fall back on, Illy knew finding childcare for Sebastian was essential. Nobody wanted to take him because, you know, childcare is very limited in the area. One additional complication, Sebastian is on the autism spectrum. I toured five or more schools, preschools, and, you know, as soon as I said, you know, he has some needs, he needs some accommodations, the response was like, you know, we're not able to provide what he needs. And so it was very stressful. Adding to the stress, Illy was job hunting, looking for work as a psychotherapist in a position similar to the one she left behind. It's hard because it has to happen simultaneously. You can't get a job if you don't have childcare. How do you even have the time to apply and do all this process and the interviews and all that if you don't have childcare? Illy isn't alone. Parents in Clinton, a city of about 25,000, are struggling to find pre-elementary childcare at any of the city's 15 facilities. Providers like Lisa Daniel Hollingshead, the owner of Funtime Preschool, know they're all feeling the pandemic fallout. Can you tell me how the pandemic impacted your time here at Funtime? So we had a total of almost 400 children and we went from that enrollment to like 53 or 63, like in a matter of two weeks. This drop in attendance made it tough for Funtime. It was a struggle. We had some capital set aside that floated us until we were able to get the PPP loans. So a lot of our teachers, a lot of our staff took a voluntary leave of absence because of health issues and they were not comfortable working in person. Lisa hopes to be fully staffed again soon, but finding qualified workers is tough with her financial constraints. Lisa's employees make between $13 and $14 an hour, which is above the state's minimum wage of $7.25. But to keep employee pay and other costs where they are, families pay about $170 per week per child. When Taco Bell is starting you off at $15 an hour, I can't do that without increasing tuition on our families. And our families are not in a position to pay more for childcare. Across the U.S., not being able to pay qualified employees more money makes hiring difficult. And that's a major issue, according to Dr. Lynette Fraga, the CEO of Child Care Aware of America. Even before the pandemic, we really did not have enough early care and education programs to meet the needs of parents who wanted to work or go back to school. We saw upwards of 16,000 early care and education programs close permanently. There is also a real significant challenge in the price of care and the access to that care. And there are significant challenges in supporting the workforce. What's the solution? The first part that we need to address in order to come to a solution is to ensure that we are aware and we acknowledge that childcare is an issue that everyone needs to focus on. At any given time, Funtime has a 100-person waiting list of kids they can't help due to staffing issues. We're in a good place where people want our services, um, but if we're not able to provide those services, they're gonna go elsewhere. Which one is next? Which brings us back to Illy and Sebastian. After seven months on a wait list, Funtime was able to secure a spot for Sebastian. It brings a lot of light work balance to our life and a lot more, you know, quality of life overall. In Clinton, Mississippi, for Matter of Fact, I'm Laura Chavez. Great job, amazing, yes. Next on Matter of Fact, 
Correspondent Joey Chen takes us to the edge of the Carolina Lowcountry, where a community found out they were drinking water full of lead. Are you afraid of what you've already learned? I'm horrified of what we don't know. Inside their decades-long crusade for clean water. And later, how climate change is preventing you from getting a good night's rest. America has an infrastructure problem. Crumbling roads and bridges aren't the only issues. As communities like Flint, Michigan have shown us, pipes that supply drinking water to our homes are also desperately in need of a fix. The Biden administration is set to spend more than $64 billion on water infrastructure projects. But experts warn that it won't be enough to help millions of Americans living in communities that don't have clean drinking water. Our special contributor, Joey Chen, visited one of those places, Denmark, South Carolina. Here at the edge of the Carolina Low Country lies a power and purity so great, this humble artesian spring was literally deeded to God. No human being can ever own it. For centuries, Healing Springs has quenched the thirst of locals, like Pauline Brown and Eugene Smith. They drive 20 miles round trip from their home in Denmark, South Carolina. But even these waters aren't enough to cure what ails their community. 13 years ago, they learned their tap water was full of lead. Pauline started collecting samples and found brown gunk growing in every bottle. Now, scientists say it's natural bacteria from the iron-rich soil, but natural is not comforting. We mean Paul who say, well, Gene, we got to do something. We got to let the people know what's happening. I got to take bottle of water back there so I can take a brush my teeth. I have to use different towels for my body when I, when I use the bottle of water. Are you afraid of your own water? Yes, I am. What? Why yes, not? I am. When it's, 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 not, it's no good. A warning that echoes the line from Shakespeare's Hamlet. There's something rotten in Denmark. Shakespeare, uh, I would say he must have been a prophet. Deanna Miller-Berry is what's known as a kumya, a newcomer, not a native in this town of less than 3,000. But through Pauline and Eugene's research, she's learned plenty about the community. And she says the city's attempt to clean their water only made things worse. So what they decided to do to eradicate the brown water was to put this chemical into the water. They took away the brown water, but it didn't take away the problems that lie below the water, the ones that you can't see with your eye. For 10 years, the chemical halo sand was used in the city's well water. The EPA says it is registered as a pesticide for use in hospitals or on farms as a disinfectant, but not for drinking water. The EPA issued a stop-use order three years ago, and the city shut down the affected well. But suspicions remain, especially because outside experts, the same ones who investigated the water in Flint, Michigan, weren't able to fully probe the Denmark site. People have questions. People want to know, did something happen to my baby because of this water? Why did this happen to this community? Poor. I'm not going to dress it up for you, Joey. We're poor and we're black, point blank, period. And you're out in the country. And we're in the country. And she's not alone in believing that. In a first-of-its-kind survey of EPA data, environmental scientist Dr. Christy Pullen-Fednick found one consistent connection between communities that suffer dirty water. 
who is it? Who shoulders the heaviest burden here? It's black and brown and indigenous populations across this country that really suffer the most from drinking water violations and a host of other issues as well. In her survey, Dr. Fednick found nearly 40% of the nation's drinking water came from contaminated sources. And the places with the worst water most often have the largest populations of people of color. Rural communities also suffer disproportionately, but the tap water anywhere may not be as clean as you'd think. Just looking at something doesn't necessarily tell you whether or not something's toxic to you. So again, you could have a cup of clear, beautiful, looks like it's pristine water, and it could be filled with lead. Back in Denmark, the community helps itself through bottled water giveaways. This is what love is all about, ma'am. While the citizen scientists research other communities that may not even know the chemicals been put in their water, too. Are you afraid of what you've already learned, or are you more afraid of what y'all don't know. I'm afraid of what we don't know. I'm horrified of what we don't know. And fearful that even the justice that runs down like the waters may remain out of reach. For a matter of fact, I'm Joey Chen in Denmark, South Carolina. Ahead on Matter of Fact, tossing and turning, trouble getting to sleep, not everybody feels the effects the same way. What's causing so many people to hit snooze? To stay up to date with Matter of Fact, sign up for our newsletter at matteroffact.tv. Welcome back to Matter of Fact. People around the globe are sleeping worse than they were 13 years ago. Most experts blame technology, but a recent global study reveals another factor, climate change. Researchers studied 10 billion sleep observations of 47,000 people in 68 countries, and they found warmer weather makes it harder to fall asleep. Climbing temperatures have already erased 45 hours of sleep per person each year, and by 2099, that number could rise to 50 sleep hours lost or 13 days of shorter sleep. Not everybody feels the effects the same way. Women, the elderly, people in low-income communities seem to be impacted the most. Researchers are still trying to pinpoint why, but they say limited access to air conditioning could be a factor. Next on Matter of Fact, a tech exec wondered what happens to those little hotel soap bars left behind? How an experiment in his garage launched a global effort to help children in need. And finally, that hotel soap you leave behind after checking out, well, now it has a second life, saving the world. Sean Seipler got the idea to recycle used hotel soap in 2008. He convinced several hotels in the Orlando area to donate the soap. Then, with the help of friends, they cut off the used parts, melted them down, and made new soap. That's when Seipler created Clean the World and started donating the soap to countries where children die from hygiene-related illnesses. Since 2009, Clean the World has given out 70 million bars of soap in 127 countries. Now they have more than 8,000 hotel partners. So far, they've kept 23 million pounds of plastic and soap waste from landfills. It's a clean solution to a dirty problem. That's it for this edition of Matter of Fact. I'm Soledad O'Brien. I'll see you back here next week. Listen to Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien on your favorite podcast provider. Watch us during the week on FYI, Pluto, and YouTube.